School PR professionals spend a week or two each year networking, if they're lucky. We pour into this professional development and the conversations drive us in our work. Collaboration is one of the best parts of our job, but then we go back to our daily work and the buzz of bright conversations and innovation starts to wear off. Welcome to School PR Happy Hour. We seek to create a shared space of collaboration and an opportunity to continue those conversations long after the closing sessions of our state and national conferences. We are a community, a community of communicators that lean on each other in hard times and learn from each other regularly. This podcast is about just that, getting to know each other better and sharing our passions about furthering education one story at a time. What's up, everybody, and welcome into another episode of School PR Happy Hour. As you know, last semester, we brought you a wonderful interview with our friend out in Baltimore, principal out there. And we want to do that again this year because, as you know, at this time of year, we're getting into the part part of the year where we're teacher of the year, student recognitions, all kinds of things. But let's be honest, we're also getting to that time of the year where it's busier than any other time of the year, and there's no time to really slow down and listen and hear what we can do to help those that we serve in our classrooms and on campuses. So today I'm excited. I have a uh, friend of mine who is here locally, <clears throat> here in Midlothian, Texas, Midlothian High School's Teacher of the Year. My buddy, Tony Robinson, is going to be in here today talking to us about his journey to the classroom, why he teaches, what he teaches, and just kind of have an open conversation about how communication administrators can be better serving towards our teachers. Hello, this is Dr. Jill from Class Intercom, and we're honored to once again be the official sponsor of School PR Happy Hour. I spent 30 years in education as a teacher and administrator, so I know the challenges schools face when it comes to social media. Class Intercom makes approvals, moderation, reporting, and archiving easy. With our support, schools and districts are able to champion student voice and tell impactful stories that engage their communities. To learn more, contact Jill at classintercom.com or visit classintercom.com. Welcome in. Welcome to the first time in the studio. You're the first in-person guest. Come on. Thanks for having me. It's so fun. Let's do it. So talk to me a little bit about uh, your journey to the classroom, like how how you landed at Midlothian. In that classroom that you teach in, and just tell me, tell me about your story. Unreal, wasn't the plan. I'll say that I did take one uh, teaching class. It was called "You Teach" at the University of Texas in Austin, Hookem Horns, and uh, so I was a petroleum engineer major, and had no grid for hey, I'm gonna just do the the teaching thing. And you know, I was planning on making you know six figure right out of the gate, right out right when I finished college. And did not make that six figure. I got the piece of paper though, so I graduated college. Hope, hope my mama proud. Yep. And uh, you know, summer uh, after my junior year, that's when I felt uh, led to actually uh, do some pastoring and to work in a church. And so I did that. Long story short, for eleven years and uh, got my master's of divinity at Southwestern Seminary. Finished that in twenty thirteen. But I pastored for eleven years. And I finished in 2021. And long story short, I just felt this uh, passion and desire to just teach more uh, rather than just doing it um, occasionally on a Sunday morning. Uh, I wanted to just do that every day. There's just kind of this growing passion. And then also I just wanted to be um, with the people in the trenches. I love students, love being around students. Actually, weirdly enough, enjoy students more than I do adults. And so I was like, man, rather than just doing this occasionally, I'd love to just be in the trenches, be with students, help them 
uh, find purpose. And uh, one of the avenues to help students find purpose is to, to use math, you know, to do that. So um, I kind of kept up, you know, along the way, you know, while I was pastoring and ministering, um, I tutored students on the side, um, kind of like a side gig. I helped uh, students uh, in math, so kind of I kept that up. But yeah, just kind of a growing passion to just use my passion and gifting uh, for teaching um, every day, five days a week, rather than like every every so often on Sunday morning. So that's the journey there, man. Awesome. Well, yeah. full disclosure here, um, friend of the show, guest on the show, wife of the host, Katie Deering, that many of you know because she's been on this show before, is one of the administrators at his campus. And immediately when he started, she started saying, man, you got to meet Tony. And then sure enough, we met Boom. and, uh, you know, we we're in the same group at church. Boom. And I told Katie the other day, I said, man, if Tony teaches math, the way that he talks at it's small group and keeps oh us engaged gosh. at small group, I may have been a lot better at math. <laughs> like I may have been, oh, you know, hilarious. I look at it now and like, I'm actually pretty good at it. But in high, in high school, I, I hated math. I was a video kid. I was the audio dude, obviously. Um, so talk to me about like the importance of your relationship with your students. Cause that's what I hear from Katie. I hear from a lot of folks and I can yeah. see it just from watching you at where I see you out and about, um, yeah. we were all kids once and a teacher had an effect on us. Yeah. And now you have that job, that shot to have that effect on students. So talk to me about the relationship with your students and what's it like a day in, in your classroom. What's that like? Yeah. Well, you know, so there's a lot that there, there's a part of me that, uh, has a little bit of regret as far as I wish I would have had a longer runway and I'm in my mid thirties now. And, you know, and there's some parts of me that feels like there's been a waste of time of 11 years pastoring where it's like, gosh, I wish I would have been able to grow as an educator and be further along in the process. And the other, other uh, side of it is like, man, there's so much that I picked up from in the world of pastoring and ministering that has just translated really well into um, the classroom. And so I just am so intent on, you know, we're kind of big on right now capturing kids' hearts and that whole deal, which is, you know, there's there's a lot of great and a lot of good in that. Um, it really is a beautiful thing. But the the mindset of capturing kids' hearts, a lot of it is in the world of like, how do I see someone as a person before I see them as like a project or a number or a statistic or a data point? And I just feel like there's so much in the world of education that like fixates on how can we get to the bottom line um, and... Uh, get the data to match kind of what's happening in the classroom. And so, um, but so my, my world is like, man, how can I have 178 students uh, this year? And every single student, I, I just have, you know, two really big ideas is one, how can I allow that student to feel seen and to feel loved when they walk into my classroom? And how can they be pushed and challenged to be better um, that day or the next day than they were the day before? And so that's just kind of my framework is like, I want every student to, to, to walk away and go like, I feel seen not only, not only by me, because I think, I think that one of the downsides of just of a mindset of an educator is how can I personally make an impact and make sure that my name is remembered and all the things is like, man, that's great. And I, and I can definitely name some teachers that have um, made a significant impact on my life um, and by name, but really I just want to be able to allow them to as a student to walk in and then leave my classroom a year later, 10 months later and go, there was a moment in my life where I felt seen uh, in a classroom. And that is not only uh, from a teacher, yes, by teacher, but also like from the people that were sitting next to me. Uh, there was a culture that was built to where 
there was affirmation and building up and being seen by my teacher and my peers, and I want to be better. And so that there's just everything that I do is just based upon that. And then going back to Captain Kids Hearts, my, my framework is like, if I can, um, I, I first want to think, how can this kid capture me? Like, I want, I want this, I want to be like, gosh, this kid is amazing. And what, what makes them tick? And what, what fascinates uh, me about them? And then once that, that happens, then step two is, then I can get to um, how can I capture their heart? You know, but I first need to figure out a way to go like, what fascinates me about, like, about that kid? And so that's just kind of really the framework. And again, uh, math, I love math, and I can geek out and nerd on, on, on math, but it's like that's just one avenue or tool that can be used um, to allow a student to find purpose and, and all the things. So that's just kind of the way I do teaching. Yeah. That's awesome. So I'm going to go off script a little bit here. Um, not that we had one. Uh, <laughs> but, um, you know, we're, we're in a time with education where being seen, being heard is not a lot of people are sitting in the background saying just teach math. Right. Teach right. math. Yeah. yeah. But you said something just there that you're like, I want my students to know that they're more than, they're a human, they're yeah. a person, they're, a th- they're you know, important. Yeah. They're not just a test grade. They're not just, did I get 90% of my class passing? Did I, you know. Right. And I, I love that. I taught, as we know, you know, mm-hmm. I taught for seven years and that was one big thing that I was like, yeah, we make videos, but really what we do is we give these kids an opportunity to tell their story. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I did it visually you have that opportunity. We've talked about like the first part of your class where you have these open discussions and these debates. Yeah. And um, yeah. you were telling me Sunday when we were hanging out or Wednesday, whatever day that was, about one of the debates y'all recently did where you were like, wait, I can't remember what the topic was. I just went blank. But yeah. you were like, you're like, maybe they're right. Like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like that yeah. totally. And, yeah. and it's just goofy stuff. Yeah. But um, I just applaud that, that you recognize, hey, all the noise outside of here, this room is about you, is about me, about us, and yeah. you being seen. So just what does it, I mean, what does it look like as a teacher in 2023? And, you know, we don't have to get too far into this, but knowing that the noise is out there, mm-hmm. what kind of pressure and what kind of just, I mean, you're, you're talking, that, let me preface this, your audience is the people who handle the media, the school boards, all the mm-hmm. things that are going on. And we, we want to hear from you guys, from teachers, What's the, what's the stressor? What's the thing that's like, man, if you could lift this a little bit, you could just let us like, almost like move the big rocks, get out of my way. Let me do my job. Where can we, like, what can, from a teacher standpoint, 2023, what are the big stressors that you feel? Yeah. There's a lot of stressors as as a teacher, (laughs) you know, uh, but you know, there, there's so many things uh, where we can make it complex, but it really is uh, simple in a lot of ways. Now the execution of of the, of those simple ideas um, it's very difficult and complex and nuanced. But, and when I think about some of my uh, most difficult situations, it's when there's um, a sense of distrust. And that even goes to probably what we're, we're potentially going to talk about later. But um, distrust between uh, teachers and parents, uh, distrust between teachers and students, distrust between teachers and administrators, um, and vice versa, where, man, some of my hardest moments have been where. Uh, I get on a phone call with uh, with a parent, and there's already this presupposition that uh, I have drawn the someone has drawn the line in the sand, and I am against their student. And uh, so, so you know, one of the first things that I do, well, I do two things as as an educator 
to kind of fight against that. One is, you know, I try not 90 plus percent of my phone calls that I make um, are not about problems that pop up. It is, um, it is where I'm trying to think about, man, is there any movement that has happened in the positive direction with a student? And as soon as I see that positive movement, I'm making a phone call typically on a Friday afternoon. And I just, uh, you know, and you can feel the tension. Like uh, I call a parent and I'm like, hi, I'm, you know, Mr. Robinson. And, you know, I'm middle of the high school. Do you have a chance to talk? And they're like, yes, this is great, good. And you could just feel the tension uh, where they're just waiting for my student has, has screwed up again. And so I'm just like, hey, I just want to take 30 seconds of your time. I just want to let you know uh, your student is such a gift. And uh, I'm so thankful that they're, uh, that um, you've given me an opportunity. You've entrusted your student to me for this year. And this is what they did this week um, where you should just be so proud of them. And uh, you could just feel the tension alleviate because, um, you know, on the front end of a lot of those conversations, if it is a difficult conversation where it's like, I just want you to know that we have the same goal. I want your student to thrive and to find purpose in my classroom. And so uh, whatever I can do to, whatever we can do to help your student thrive, I want you to know that I'm in on that. And I want to do whatever I can to help your student thrive. And there's just so many conversations, again, some of my difficult conversations have been where parents have been uh, saying things like, you're against my student, or um, man, I believe my student over you. And so those have been some of the really hardest conversations uh, where there's been, uh, from the get-go, a sense of distrust. And whatever that is, there's a lot of noise and things that can go about to get, get just, uh, to get a parent or a student there. And uh, so it's really hard. I mean, you know, from one negative moment or thought or interaction, it takes 17 positive interactions to, to shift that mindset. And so that, those have been some of my hardest moments as a teacher is from the get-go, there's a presupposition that I'm against their student um, or I'm on the other side. I'm um, very similar with administrators, right? It's like uh, when, I, when I rub shoulders with teachers, there's this presupposition, and some of that's from felt experience or um, a, a sample size that's small or large, but it's like from the get-go I hear teachers saying, these administrators are against me and they want me to fail. And it's like... Gosh, that's that's really hard um, to see any sort of fruit when you're not from the get-go coming from a posture of curiosity um, rather than like presupposition about an agenda. And so that's that's like again, if I'm if I'm pinpointing and probably a little bit oversimplistic, it's like we are we are coming to the game with a sense of presupposition rather than from a posture of curiosity. And that just just destroys in any organization or any real, in any sort of like relationship, when there's not curiosity and nuance um, in the game, then you just the 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 uphill battle is just really steep and really difficult. So, um, yeah, that that's just kind of just what I've experienced in my two years of teaching is like there's a lot of presupposition. Yeah, and I mean, it, in in my experience, I I was very similar with media tech class or video production class, whatever it was called then. They've changed the name 15 right. times yeah, since I quit sure. teaching. Yeah. Um, I had a lot of kids that came in didn't fit in anywhere else. Mm-hmm. And so they'd get in there, and their parents are used to the phone calls being like, oh, Johnny's a jerk. Johnny was rude. Johnny's mm-hmm. failing. Johnny skipped. Yeah. And sometimes I just called and said, Dude, you're, I'd be like, sir, do you have time to chat? 
I just want you to know Johnny's hilarious. Yeah, amazing. Like Johnny's amazing. a funny kid who right. knows how to he may not make the best movies, but the movies are yep. funny. Yep. And that's what I need is a laugh. Got so doubt. <laughs> um so I just think that that kind of and I, I see the mistrust there because I mean that's the name of the game right now across no matter what. I think we could look at multiple landscapes, multiple yeah. in inbounds from wherever it's coming from, not just in education. Yep. There's yep. mistrust everywhere, yep. and it's it's setting us up against a barrier to really just do the important work we're supposed to do, which is, from your side, teach, affect the kids. Yep. My side, move the big rocks so you can teach, right? Yep. So I had a superintendent who used that line all the time. I think I use it so much, Katie gets tired of it. Um, my job as an administrator is to move the big rocks so you can get through and do what you need to do. So let's shift gears and talk yep. about what we talked about before we started, Let's talk a little bit about as a communications person, as the person who helps tell your story, who promotes you, who keeps, you know, keeps things moving in the right direction for you. What can communication professionals in school districts across the country, what can we do to help teachers just be able to teach and just do the job that they're there to do? What can we do to serve you? Man, that is, that is, there's a lot of angles that I feel like I could take with that. And so here, I'm just thought, I'm not even sure this is probably what you're, you're thinking about or, or, you know, hoping for me to address, but some of the things that, that pop up for me, one is when I think about, uh, so uh, 90%, uh, and probably 90 plus percent of our communication, uh, at our school is through email and from really large, important things to, you know, celebration things to all the in-between and, you know, I, I personally have a personality where it's like, I love to have like the inbox, like notification, have, have zero, you know, at the end of the day. And when there's like, you know, 30 to 50 to 75 emails that run through a teacher's, you know, inbox, and some of those are of high importance and some are low importance, it is really difficult to figure out what is important, um, what communication, uh, is clear and uh, and what things are put in the box of like celebration, what are put in the box of like do it right now. And especially, you know, uh, you know, and there's a range of class. Right now I teach like financial math and, you know, where it's probably going to be no more than like 15 minutes of teaching a day. And then there's space to like check the inbox and all the things and whatever. And uh, I roam a little bit, but there's a lot of time where I'm just sitting and, you know, wait, hoping that students, juniors and seniors will kind of engage and, you know, ask for help and all the things that come to me, but it's, you know, it's hard to do that. And then I have, you know, honors class where it's like my honors class. Um, I'm teaching for 15, 20, 25 minutes a day. And then the questions are, um, are constant for the rest of the period where I'm roaming and engaging and, uh, you know, filling in gaps. And the, the chances, the chance for me to actually check my inbox and to see that immediate important communication that's coming through email, from my administrator or from another teacher, it's like, I'm probably not going to see that email. And so uh, there's just a lot that comes through through one communication line uh, that makes it difficult to figure out what to do and when to do what and what's important and what's not important. So that would probably be one thing that's, you know, so in, in, in my former workplace, you know, we had varied, you know, so we had, you know, we use Remind and email. That's probably the two things we use at, at, at Midlothian High School. And, you know, at my former workplace, it was like, you know, we had email, 
And then there was a lot of talk about what things were appropriate and necessary through the means of email. And then we used a form of communication called Slack, you know, and that communication was like celebratory things, pull things, documents that um, needed to be thrown in and for people to see a quick like announcement for, hey, make sure, reminder, close your, have your doors closed, you know, um, uh, just to make sure that that's all set to go. And all that stuff was through Slack. And then you had remind for quick things that needed to happen that day. Um, you know, after a Sunday morning or whatever. And so it was very clear what communications need to be used for what. And that helped um, as far as stress and anxiety for me and clarity about what things were important and what things were not. Um, and so I think there's probably an oversimplification of communication uh, in the lane of like everything's through email um, from the range of this in meeting is important and everyone needs to come to it to you know, golf just advanced in district, and then there's five five other emails that are to reply all, MHS all, where <laughs> everyone's saying congratulations, and I'm getting another <coughs> five Excuse to me. ten emails just off of, hey, congratulations, golf uh, advanced to district. So you so you said at the beginning of this may not be the direction you wanted me to go. <laughs> um, I had a conversation with one of the superintendents I work with last week. Uh-huh. And we just signed, like, he just started working with us. We are his communications department. It's a small little country school here in Texas, yeah. right? And he was, I was like, so you've talked to your teachers. You've been doing some stuff. Like, we we're kind of like, hey, ask the teachers what communications needs to be. And they're like, man, we are so tired of getting emails. We get, you know. They're like, Doc, they're, emails. It's, yeah. it's, I mean, it's, yeah. They're like, Dr. Thompson, when you have an idea, you send us an email. Or, I didn't mean to use his name, but whatever. <laughs> but, you know, you send us an email, and then the athletic department, we're getting an email, and we're getting this from our principal. Yep. Is there a way to streamline this into yeah, something yeah. that is a little bit better? And I shared, and I mean, we use this with multiple clients at work. It's called No Do Share. It's, it's a newsletter you may get once a week. You may get twice a week. Here's what you need to know. Here's what I need you to do as your administrator. And here's what you're allowed to share with your parents. Yeah. So we send that to principals, and the principals make their own, send it down to teachers. And if you know you get a KDS, and we made, he wanted to do KDS plus B because he wanted a section to brag. Okay. But yeah, so we're trying that. And it's, it's worked in some, in some districts that we've seen that the over, overwhelming response was, y'all send so many emails. Can we pare it down some? Mm -hmm. So we go down to KDS and they're like, okay, thank you. Now it may be a longer email because you're going to get once a week. Yep. But. It's all one. It's all not one. 15. Right. So, so, so there, yeah, there's a pressure point there when we're talking in terms of communication. Um, I think too much is sent through email. And, uh, you know, and, there, and there's another line too where, like, you know, we, get, we do get a weekly newsletter, you know, um, from, our, for our, from our admin. And uh, that newsletter is probably, you know, I'm kidding. If I far to go through finger scrolls, I mean, I probably to get down to the bottom. You know, I'm thinking probably 30, 30 scroll, finger scrolls <laughs> to get down to the bottom. And half of it is a regurgitation of things that um, that have been put in earlier newsletters that, have, that are tacked on and kept on for later newsletters. And it's difficult, again, to sift through. Obviously, the, the new stuff is up top. But if there's a, if there's a way, I, I've heard it said two different ways, and I'm not sure which is the, actually the formal one, but like, it's either clarity is kind or, or kind or clear is kind. Both. And it's like, man, like clarity is really kind, mm-hmm. especially when you have a job that, you know, based uh, depending upon the type of class and how you teach and all the things, it's like, I mean, it's, it's in the 55, 60 hour, you know, a week job, you know, and that's probably very kind. It's like, man, you probably, 
you probably want to be very clear and concise so that you can be kind to the teachers um, that you um, that are under you. And yeah, you you're speaking you. Brene Brown language right, right. now, and she yeah. is, you know, my therapist, yeah, and she's under right. she's the underlying theme of this entire uh, this yeah. entire show we've been doing. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so I agree. I think as a teacher, I saw that. Um, as a communicator, as a communications person, I I often was like. Oh, can we take this down? Because I was in, in my situations, I've been one of the few in the department that have ever served in a classroom. So I had a different mindset on yep. it. Yep. So I think communi- obviously digital communications through emails and things like that. We use Slack at work. I love it. it's the first time I've used it, but I, I think there's definitely room for improvement there. Hello, party people. My name is Liz Anderson. I am a communications specialist with CISO Communications, and this is your CISO top tip for this episode. Communication is key at all levels of education. We advise our clients to communicate internally through newsletters or updates using the no-do-share model, or as we refer to it, the KDS model. KDS is all about getting important information to your audience in small, digestible bits. We find the KDS model works great with staff members by reducing the number of emails they receive every day. Within the no portion of the update, district leaders or principals can share information that the audience needs to know. Similarly, in the do section, leaders can share action items that need to be completed along with their upcoming deadlines. The share area of the update is for supplying information and identifying who each item should be shared with. If there is a district-wide picnic coming up to celebrate the end of the school year, then that information would be able to be shared with all families. Interested in seeing what this looks like in action? Visit bit.ly slash CISO top tip, subscribe, and download your free guide to the KDS model. Again, that is B-I-T dot L-Y backslash CISO top tip. Justin will share the link in the show notes as well. For more information on CISO communications, visit thecso.com or follow us on our social channels at CISOcom. At CISO, we partner with districts as we work together to rethink possible. Um, is there other ways that you see that communicators are your communications department administrators can can continue to help teachers? Yeah, you know, so, you know, and this is, I would say, so quick tidbit uh, uh, alongside of just um, the weekly newsletter deal is, you know, whenever I was in my, my former, you know, workplace, you know, and I had, you know, I oversaw, you know, 75, you know, different home groups, uh, with a couple or two that led each of those home groups and a coach that oversaw, you know, four, you know, three to five or three to seven, you know, home groups. So there was, you know, anywhere from 150, 200 people that I was leading. And what was really helpful, at least the feedback that I got as far as communication was, you know, even if I did have this long, you know, all the necessary things, but it just ended up being a long email. Uh, there was a sense where there was a recap on the front end or, or, or the back end of like, okay, if you had, didn't have time to read all of this, here are the big three. Here's the big three thoughts of like what uh, you need to take away from this email. And uh, so again, those are just things that are really helpful as far as like, okay, bare bones, how can we 
whittle this down to here's what you need to know or and or here are your action items you know and so again uh i think that kind of still falls in the bucket of uh, of clarity is kind um but i just at the end of the day teachers need to know what they need to know right and uh and then and but there are some teachers that need all the details and probably super type a and they need to know the why and the how and all the details underneath and still include that or put a link in there with more details, but like the shorter and more concise, the better, or some hyperlinks and, and ways to kind of navigate to the details for people that need detail. Um, so there's, there's some thought there that I think is helpful. And uh, if there was one more thing that, you know, if I'm thinking about my former workplace that might translate well over to um, education is when I think about, so we have weekly staff meetings. Uh, I think that's, you know, that happened this year, but maybe not so much last year. And uh, so there's, you know, there's usually a Google slide deck that's sent out like the day of or, you know, at some point during the day, that's like a summary or like that has all the slides that, that we went through. But, you know, one of my, I think, one of my pet peeves, I think, of like the staff meetings, which, you know, I think in a lot of ways they're, they're led well and, um, and I'm really grateful for how those are led in, in, a, in a way. But I, I am always a fan of like modeling what you want to, you know, have your your teachers or your the people that are following you to embody you want to model those things and typically how those staff meetings go is like there's you know 20 to 30 slides in a 45 minute <laughs> conference and it is just legit information dump um, overload and I do get a sense that like all of this stuff is important and necessary and they're trying to be careful of the time and not do a staff meeting every week and all those things that I, I get and I'm mindful of. But um, on the other end, it's like the, the way that it's modeled is I'm going to shove information down your throat for 45 minutes and, uh, and then we'll send you a, a little slide deck. And uh, what I'm getting from that is I'm curious, is that how you want me to teach? Which I would assume no. That's not how you want me to teach as an information dump without any space uh, really for asking clarifying questions or helping me process, you know, what's been taught or delivered. And uh, even on the side of what uh, the trainings look like and a lot of that stuff, there's no control over. I get that a lot of the stuff comes from the top down where it's like these are required things that must be um, taught. And but those meetings as far as from a communication standpoint, it's like what, what I always learned in t- as far as leadership is like once you hit, whether it's a sermon or whether it's like just an actual leadership meeting, it's like once you hit, once you pass two or three big ideas, you have lost your audience. Um, that's from an email all the way to a face-to-face communication standpoint. And so figuring out ways to like front load before that meeting or back load in the back end of the meeting, here are the things that you can go through and, you know, there's a, a checkbox or whatever as far as like these are the things that you need to, you know, have trainings on that we don't have to do in meeting. And let's simplify these meetings to where we're getting two to three big ideas and giving you room to process and have. Um, now, I'm not saying consensus, but in the sense of giving room and space for people to process and ask clarifying questions. And, uh, you know, Patrick Lencioni, you know, Five Dysfunctions of a Team um, is a really good book if, if people if you haven't read it. It's like. And he talks through like giving space for people to have conflict, not consensus, but have conflict so that people can walk out of the room with a sense that they feel empowered to go disseminate that information to the people that they need to disseminate to 
um, whoever their follow, whoever their followers are, or whatever it may be for us, that students um, or other fellow teachers, it's like, how can I feel like there's enough buy-in? And the only way that I can get buy-in is if I clearly understand what you're talking about, and there's room and space for me to have ask clarifying cl- questions or for there to be conflict in the moment. So I, um, I I think from there, if you look at, I'm thinking through like from the communications department, how often. Do you see, and this is just a, not a question to answer, but how often do you, we get pulled together in staff meetings and things change? Yeah. Yeah. And it's not like a, hey, this, you know, the beginning of the year is classic time. We've got a theme for the year. This year, our theme is building together or whatever it is, you know? And we sit there for 30 minutes and I'm guilty of this as a communications person because I'm, I'm good in front of people. Hey, Justin, go in and give this talk, make them feel good, laugh a couple times and get out. Mm -hmm. But there's never, we've got to do a better job as communicators of here's your, like you said, here's your two or three big topics. Yeah. What questions do you have? Let's let's chop it up a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Let's see what, what, if you don't like it, speak out. You're not, you're not going to hurt Justin's feelings. Yeah. And I think there's fear. Without a doubt. There's fear yeah. on the administrator side to be like, hey, we're going to change this and make this new thing. Yeah. Teachers who's already yeah. super busy, tell yeah. us what you think. Because yeah. it's probably not going to go great. Yeah. Without a doubt. But. And, and there, and there is, a, and that goes back to like, what's the, kind of my big idea? It's like there's just a presupposition and felt like um, I don't trust you. Um, that's that's being felt. I think probably both ways that makes those moments um, really difficult, you know. But um, and, and we've done like the parking lot thing, where like if you have a question, just put it on a sticky note and put it on the parking lot, and we'll follow we'll follow up with you. And there is like a yes to that because again, there's a lot of information that needs to be disseminated. But then there's also like that doesn't really give me space to ask the question. And there's a, and if I have the question, there's a high chance that two or three or four or five or even more people have that same question. And, uh, and it probably needs to be uh, massaged out in probably a, a public forum. Um, and and what I, but, but also there's a clarifying thing. Uh, uh, leaders or communicators need to, you know, what was the big fumble in like the whole calendar thing that happened in the past month? Um, and it was actually said in the board meeting, and I thought it was really um, insightful uh, assertion that was made. And one of the uh, board members was like, we sent out this poll to the community and whatever, whatever, 5,000 people or whatever responded, however you responded. And what people thought was that poll was a vote. And uh, because they thought it was a vote, when the board didn't go along with that quote unquote vote, there was frustration and anger mm-hmm. and a lot of rub because there wasn't clarity on the front end of like, this is uh, one of the many um, variables, if you're talking math terms, this is not the variable that's going to dictate how we choose the calendar, but it's one of many variables. And two, it's not a vote, it's a poll where we're taking that poll as one of many variables to decide what we're going to do. But we're not looking for consensus. We're not looking for majority vote. We're using that as one of many variables to make sure that we are getting all the information we need to make the call that we're going to make. And uh, so I think if we're translating that or interpolating that into staff or administration and communicating that down to teachers, it's like, man, I just need clarity on the front end of like, okay, uh, what is the bullseye? What, what's the big idea? Um, how are we going to get there? And what are you asking of me? And is my feedback a vote or is it a poll? Um, are you wanting consensus? Are you wanting majority? Or are you just wanting some feedback? And regardless of whether it's majority or minority, you're going to make the call based upon your intuition and what you think is best. And 
So I think all those things, I think some of the, some of the, like the, the distrust that is felt amongst teachers is like, what is the ulterior motive? What are you trying to do? Um, and what is, uh, sometimes there are a lot of gaps that teachers feel like they're forced to fill in those gaps based off of misinformation um, or no information at all. And then we are forced to fill in those gaps. And again, unfortunately, teachers, I think the right thing to do would be to, for teachers to fill in those gaps with the best possible assumption. But a lot of times we don't. And um, so, but I think it'd be helpful from a communication standpoint to be able to deliver with clarity what is your, what is the big idea? What's the motive behind it? And what is my part that I have to play as a teacher? Um, and do I have the space and time to be able to play the part that you're asking me to play? Right. You know, and a lot of times, uh, yeah, a lot of times either we don't have the time <laughs> and uh, so then there's frustration built up there or we give our input and, um, but then there's not clarity about what that input, what the value is of that input and what it's being used for, you know? So, man, it's tough. It is. And, and that's, cool. this job's not getting easier. No. Things are changing daily, if not hourly, in the yeah. education, especially in Texas. Let's yeah. just say we're all sitting yeah. here watching our yeah. state yeah. capital waiting. Yeah, um, it's crazy. So, from my standpoint as a, as a communicator, but ma- mainly as I, I see myself as a storyteller. Mm-hmm. My job and what I, my goal is I always want to find the teachers and the students and the janitors and the cafeteria workers that are just, they, have, they all have stories, right? Mm-hmm. And I want to come in and showcase what great things are happening in classrooms. Mm-hmm. And my first four or five years, doors were always open. Then COVID hit. And now there's that mistrust that we've been, it's right. been coming, there's multiple, like, I don't right. know that I want a camera in my classroom. Because right. what if a parent doesn't like what I'm doing? Or yeah. what if this or that or whatever? Yeah. Um, we've got to figure out how to get back to that because the, I mean, I'm giving a talk in Oklahoma on this this week. The one way to continually push and tell the stories that are going on in public education and the great things that are happening is to tell undeniable stories that people can't punch holes in. Yeah, that's good. So if you see a video that, or you, or you read a story about a student who's doing amazing things, there's nothing you can say other than whoever's involved in impacting that kid's life is doing good work. Yeah. So that, I mean, I don't, I don't have an answer. You don't have an answer. Katie's in the living room listening. She doesn't have an answer. Uh, we're, uh, we're all trying to figure out that answer. But I do know that talking to my wife, talking to people that work with you, um, all the administrators that I know up there, they love what you're doing there. And uh, they love the way you interact with your students, the relationships that you build. So I applaud you for that. I do want to give you one opportunity to answer the simple question. When you wake up in the morning and go to work, why are you excited to go teach kids? It's a loaded question. That is loaded. Uh, I love, I love seeing the light bulb, you know, go on. And, you know, there's, uh, so first, the first day of school, I always, in all my classes, I don't do like the syllabus thing. Um, I make a video and make them watch it for homework, you know, the first day. Uh, so I give homework the first day. But, um, but, the, so I, but I spend time in my classroom talking about your why. And, um, you know, I, I, I go through, uh, uh, Henri Nuon is, you know, as a former you know, Catholic priest and, 
and he has these uh, what's called the five lies that everyone is uh, that tends to five lies that everyone tends or tem- is tempted to believe. And so I, I I tease out this idea that you know everyone believes you know and I, I can't even remember I probably have to look it up but it's you know um, so I say you are not uh, you are not simply uh, your worst mistake. You are not defined by your worst moment or worst mistake. You are also not defined by your best moment. Um, you are not defined by what you do. You're not defined by the people that you are in relationship with or the people that you befriend. And there's probably even one more. But um, the, the big idea is like, man, you have been told a lie that you are only what you do. And what if you were something more than that? What if uh, you are valuable because of like who you uniquely are? And the purpose that you have in this life, and so I just so I, I just try to survey and help people like understand that like every single student has purpose, and how can I um, be a part of the journey of helping you discover that? And so when the light bulb comes on of like so you know there, there's a you know I, I remember my first year teaching last year there is um there's a student that was a cheerleader, and she I was like who are you and she's like I'm a cheerleader. And I'm like, that's amazing. And I bet that you are an amazing cheerleader. And I was like, but what if you um, have one of your stunts or you're in a cheer thing and you break your leg? And uh, so then I asked, I remember I asked this student, I was like, then who are you? Like, if you break your leg and you can't cheer anymore, who are you? And she's like, I don't know. And I was like, I would believe that you are still someone and that you still have value. Um, and purpose in this in this in this world, um, even if you break your leg and you can't cheer anymore. And so, you know, long story short, I mean, like getting getting good grades and and challenging someone in financial math or algebra, it's like that's that's great, and I can geek out on that stuff. But it's like underneath that, it's like how can I help someone that when they don't understand how to solve logarithms, which I'm giving a test on that on Tuesday, it's like, but um, the, the beneath that, how can you uh, critically think? Uh, for yourself, how can you, when you face adversity and something as uh, insane as logarithms, when you look at adversity in the face, you don't give up. Um, you don't say that whether I figure it out or not, that's like my purpose and who I am in life. It's like, but no, you have a life skill of learning how to look adversity in the face and figure out through your peers, allowing your peers to be um, co-laborers alongside you and um, how can you overcome that adversity and get to the other side? And uh, you're going to be resourceful and be a critical thinker and use the people around you to get there. And I just light up when someone is able to figure out how to do that for themselves and uh, and to find purpose that's not based upon what they do, but who they are. And so, you know, again, long, long answer, but it's like, man, every single, um, so I do kind of birthdays. Even I'm not a big birthday person, my, my wife is, uh, but uh, every single birthday, um, I have a student, I'll affirm a student, and it won't be based upon what they do or the grade they have in my class or how smart or whatever. Um, I affirm them and the character that, that I see in them and the growth that I see in them as a person. I affirm every single student in my class by the end of the year. And if they don't have a birthday during the year, it's like during the summer, then I do their half birthday. But every single student gets affirmed. And what the cool thing is, on top of that, is you know after about a month or two, um, what I always do after I affirm that student, publicly, publicly affirm them, uh, then I invite the class to affirm them as well. And after about a month or two, um, I get about um, 
for every birthday, I get two or three students that will stand up in front of their peers and affirm that student, not for the pretty hair that they have or that they're awesome uh, in their grades, like they affirm their character and who they are as a human being. And, uh, and so those are just the, the moments where it's like, dude, that, that is like the culture that I want to build in my classroom, that a student, like no matter what's going on in their world and the, the difficulties that they're um, experiencing at home um, or what they like uh, outside of home, but when they walk into my classroom, they know who they are and they're going to be told truths about who they are by the time that they leave my classroom at the end of the year. And those are the things that just light me up. And, um, and even if that's the one moment they experience that, I know that they will never forget that for the rest of their lives. Um, so, and, and a little quick story. Uh, there, I had a ninth grader last year that, you know, burly guy, uh, baseball kid, and, um, and it was his, I think it was his half birthday. And, uh, and I was like, today's the day, I'm affirming you. And he's like, Mr. T, you don't have to do that. And I'm like, dude, I'm going to do it. It's going to be great. And so, uh, so oh, long story short, I affirm him uh, in my fifth period. And, uh, and he comes up uh, after my class, and he is in tears. And, uh, and he's like, I have, um, no one has ever said that about me. And, uh, and I just want to say thank you. And, and then I'm like, no, no problem. I mean, I, I meant it, and I think those things are true about you. And he goes, well, thank you. And then he just walks out. And I had a really hard time with that kid all year, but I, I think um, he'll never forget just, again, like the one moment where he heard true things to be said about him, not only from me, but from his peers. And so that's, that's what I live for. That's, uh, that's, that's what I'm about. And if there's one thing on the communication side that I'll add, um, just to go on the communication stuff, it's like uh, when I think about the relational bridge, there, there are four aspects to communication. There's the sender, there's uh, the package that you're sending. There's the bridge that the package needs to go across. And then there's the recipient on the other end. And uh, all four of those things are so important when you're thinking about communication. Um, one, uh, who are you, the sender? Two, what is the truth that you're trying to deliver? Three, how strong is the relational bridge between the, re the sender and the recipient? Because that's important. So talking about trust. Um, and then four, who is the person that you're talking to? And there's so many things around. How can I, is the, is the relational bridge strong enough? Um, even if the package of truth is right and you send it in the right uh, delivery, if the relational bridge is not strong enough, then it's going to break down. But two, um, timing is important. So I always said the right thing at the wrong time is still the wrong thing. And so you have to be very uh, particular and careful about who you are, being aware about who you are, who the recipient is, how am I delivering that message? And then two, is the relational bridge strong enough to make it to the other end? And I think that is the world of communication, that is the world of teaching, is like I want to make sure that that relational bridge is strong enough. I want to be aware of who I am. I want to be mindful about the unique person that that student is. And I want to make sure that the truth that I'm delivering can make it to the other end. And that is, I think, the, the, the job that you are up against, that's the job that I am um, up against, is like making sure that the relational bridge um, is intact and we are all aware um, of what's going on between all those four um, aspects as we're communicating to others. Um, so that's kind of like my job. How can I make that relational bridge strong? And the package I'm delivering is uh, not only the right package, but in the right timing when I well, you just added a slide to my presentation uh, with the relational bridge will now be talked about in Oklahoma on Wednesday. Yeah. It's not an original. I <laughs> my 
Well, I, I, I want to thank you for sharing that in the story about your students. And um, every show that we do, every guest that we have, um, we ask them one final question before we let you go. Cool. Um, talk to me again. Like I said earlier, we were all the kids once and people mm-hmm. were supporting us, right? Yeah. Um, talk to me about an educator, teacher, administrator, anything had an impact on your life that's led you, kind of helped you get to where you're at today. Yeah. So ironically, you know, there's a lot actually on my list, but ironically, the teacher that comes to mind first um, is my Algebra 2 honors teacher, um, which is what I teach now, um, Mr. Scarmato, and we called him Mr. Scar. And this guy, he taught Algebra 2 honors in AP Psych. And I am not a psych person, even though I actually really enjoy the class, but I did not do well on the AP exam. But uh, this guy, uh, no matter how good you were at math or at psych, it was kind of just known that you had to take, uh, in particular, his his, uh, AP psych class by the time you graduated high school. But both of his classes, it's like you had to take um, SCAR's class. And uh, he saw people for who they are. Um, There there was this uh, project at the end of AP psych called the Catharsis Project that Again, even if you weren't the brightest kid in the world, you had to take AP Psych so that you could do the Catharsis Project. And uh, it was just always known that, like, the culture that he created in his class, no matter what subject he was teaching, you you had to be in his class. And so that's kind of, like, how I got, because um, I even my first year, and you know, I'm called Mr. T, and, you know, there's nothing, there's no T in Robinson. Uh, but my first <laughs> name is Tony. Uh, but I, I was like, I don't like Mr. R. I don't like Mr. Robinson. Um, admin actually did, didn't like that I was called Mr. T. Um, and none of my students know the reference to Mr. T at all, right. actually, from what it's from. Uh, but the reason why I wanted to have a nickname is because of Mr. Scar. Um, we called him Scar. Um, as I wanted to have a nickname because of that teacher. And I wanted to teach algebra to honors because of that teacher. And I wanted to create a culture in my classroom where people wanted to be in it, regardless of what subject I was teaching. It was because of that teacher. And, uh, and again, one of the highest compliments you can have as a teacher is like, man, I do not like blank. So for me, last year, I had students last year be like, I don't, I still don't like math by the end of this year, but I love being in your class. And that is probably, you know, definitely one of the highest compliments that I, you know, that I can receive or any teacher can receive is like, this student feels loved, feels seen, and feels challenged um, when they're in my classroom. And I learned that particularly from SCAR. And this is SCAR motto. Uh, my 10th grade year, I took Algebra 2 Honors. And then that next year, I took uh, I took AP Psych in his class. And I had to be in his class. So that's kind of, you know, a lot of what I live by as a teacher is from that educator. Awesome. Well, thanks for sharing that. Yeah. Thanks for, uh, you know, driving to my house and hanging out with me while we do this episode tonight. Uh, you know, keep doing what you're doing. People see it. People love it. So. Well, there you have it. Another episode of school PR happy hour school communicators that are listening. We know that our job is to support the, the campuses, the administrators, the teachers and the students across the district. There are teachers like this in your district, find them, tell their stories, Put them on a pedestal and let everybody know the amazing things that are going on in your classes. We're still planning out the end of season four of School PR Happy Hour. So if you have an idea for a topic, reach out to us on our Twitter at SPR Happy Hour. And as Aaron always says, let's go out there and try to be a little better at our jobs every day.